and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, and all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 25th episode of the podcast for the week of October 15th, 2018. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week. Uh, Then I'll have a guest join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I am very happy to welcome professional astrologer Nina Griffin to join me on the podcast for a discussion on astrological magic, elections, and talismans. So before we get started here, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest, because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me today, and if you'd like to show appreciation for my work and get early Sunday access for only $1 per month, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. And for those of you who do not know, I am currently uh, running a giveaway for my patrons of the podcast, which uh, patron tiers start at just $1 per month. So if you'd like to find out more about this giveaway, uh, well, let me tell you. So I'll be partnering with Juanita Benedicto from 12th House Readings, uh, where we're going to be doing a podcast segment in a couple weeks here. It'll be for the week of October 29th. Uh, And for all patrons of my podcast, you can enter to win an online, uh, an on-air reading where we're going to be combining tarot and astrology in a unique way to answer some questions. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're interested in, uh, you know, finding out more, go on over to my Patreon page and consider signing up to be a patron. All right, so let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady starts out the week building strength in the industrious earth sign of Capricorn as she waxes her way towards a first quarter moon position on Tuesday, uh, around midday in North America. On Wednesday, she enters into the social air sign of Aquarius, where she'll hang out until moving into the compassionate waters of Pisces on Friday. Uh, And Luna will reside in this dreamy domain throughout the weekend. So just a quick heads up, all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe, add about eight hours. And if you are in Australia or in the East, add about 17 hours or basically the following day. And keep in mind that, you know, timing isn't always precise as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it's quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. Well, my dear friends, this week action is brewing as Luna waxes forward, picking up speed and light in her monthly lunar cycle. Mercury is the star player and is giving quite a show as the messenger makes contacts to Venus retrograde, Neptune retrograde, and Mars. This is a significant week of learning, communicating, and transacting. So let's not waste any time and dive right in. 
On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Capricorn, and she will be making a sextile to Mercury, a sextile to Venus, and a sextile to Neptune. So she's very sextile on Monday. Uh, and of note, we have Mercury, who will be making a conjunction to Venus, who is currently retrograde. Um, and so what does that mean? Well, Mercury is our, you know, how we com- what, how we communicate, how we learn, our perception, information coming in, news, um, transactions, things along those lines. And Venus is about uh, relationships and relating with others um, and opening up to something or uh, trying to balance or harmonize something or, uh, you know, issue or things around worth and value. And so there are making a conjunction, which conjunctions are about new cycles brewing, um, and the energies come together to merge and become one. And so with Mercury meeting Venus, who is currently retrograde in the deep waters of Scorpio, this is likely to be a time where we can speak to our loved ones on relational matters, particularly about subjects along the lines of a more intimate nature or matters that have been kept internally that now need release. Communication of the opening or closing of boundaries may need to take place, and with Venus currently retrograde, this may be a day of transformative clarity around our just deserves and our personal worth. And with both planets being represented by Mars in Aquarius, uh, because Scorpio is uh, ruled by, traditionally ruled by Mars, Um, This is likely a time where we once again revisit the humanity in relation to women's rights issues, and there may be more coverage in the news along these lines. And chances are our minds will be more in tune with the beauty of form in the world, and even something that we might normally see as grotesque or unsavory can have a softening our perception, because keep in mind it's conjuncting in Scorpio. So this would be a wonderful day to stimulate the mind with the arts or music, uh, particularly leaning on the more intense side of things. So, you know, if you want to pull out that heavy metal record or connect with an artistic work that finds beauty in the darker side of humanity, you know, you might find it unexpectedly soothing right now. And so the bottom line for Monday is, is that there is a practical spin on the day with the moon in the ambitious sign of Capricorn. It's likely to be thought-provoking with the opportunity to tap into more imaginative or inspirational realms with that sextile to Neptune. As this is the start to many people's work week, we can begin the week in a creative flow, seeing increased productivity by tackling things as they come. Now, on Tuesday, we have a first quarter moon in Capricorn, which will happen at 11.02 a.m. here and on the Pacific uh, Coast. Uh, And Luna will make a conjunction to Pluto very early on in the morning, uh, a square to the sun, which is our first quarter moon, and then a sextile to Jupiter. So let's talk about this first quarter moon a little bit, uh, which will be happening at 23 degrees and 19 minutes of Capricorn. So to recap, you know, first quarter moons are a time when we are pushing forward as the moon increases in light via her relationship with the sun. Events are underway to move us along, and chances are we feel the tension or are challenged into action in some way. And with first quarter taking place in the sign of Capricorn, we are likely moving forward on a business-related matter or something in which we have ambition towards. Because Saturn is the representative of the seagoat, there is a constriction to the energy that is apparent when the moon is in this sign. 
And we may be actively setting limits in a way that can help us focus on a specific task or outcome. And with the moon also in a sextile to Jupiter, there is an emotional opportunity to make these moves in such a way to promote personal expansion. Much like pruning a rose bush, cutting off the excess will allow for a flourish of growth down the road. And I found it interesting for uh, this first quarter moon, the Sabian symbol for this degree, which would be 24 degrees Capricorn, uh, reads as a woman entering a convent. And so that painted an interesting picture in my mind. So we can see such things as maybe spiritual commitment towards something or, you know, putting action uh, towards something that has meaning for us uh, and that search for meaning or even a desire to withdraw from society or retreat in some way, um, which, you know, if we think about Capricorn and the idea of constriction, uh, we might want to kind of just pull back um, to, you know, look for that meaning or that or, or you know, that commitment or an act of devotion in some way. Um, So this would be a great day to maybe sit at, uh, if you have a sacred space or an altar of some sort and kind of put that active intention into motion. And so the bottom line for Tuesday is that we are moving forward today and taking care of business with that first quarter moon in Capricorn. A sextile to Jupiter allows an opportunity to make great strides, opening the door to emotional expansion through practical means and decisive commitment. By rising to the occasion and honoring our duties, the active productivity will help to give a sense of secure direction, because Capricorn, much like Cancer, loves its security. Now, on Wednesday, we have the moon now in Aquarius, uh, and she will make a square to Uranus very early in the morning, and then a square to Venus uh, about mid-later day. Um, And there's no uh, particular aspects going on that day, so the bottom line for Wednesday is that a super early square to Uranus may have our sleep a little restless. So if you toss and turn, you know, early Wednesday morning, know that it's kind of in the air right now. Uh, And with that moon now in Aquarius, we lighten a little from the density of the previous Capricorn influence because Earth can feel rather dense. And so we kind of lighten up and detach a bit. Um, And that's, you know, with that air of detachment, we are likely to be a little bit more talkative and a little bit more social. Uh, Yet that square to Venus later in the day can create a little moodiness with a potential need to have some time alone or maybe a little space for oneself. So if you need a time, you know, that time to collect your thoughts, feel free to take it because this could be a good day to kind of have some space or create some space. Now on Thursday, the moon is still in Aquarius and will make an early morning square to Mercury and then a conjunction to Mars later in the day. Uh, And like Wednesday, we do not have any particular aspects going on, although our next batch of Mercury aspects um, and transits that are happening are brewing uh, on Thursday. And so the bottom line for Thursday is with those aspects brewing, the moon square to Mercury and the conjunction to Mars are likely to bring some irritation our way. And we may feel the need for greater freedom of expression, making it all too easy to say things that can be a bit blunt or inconsiderate, 
or we may find ourselves on the receiving end of such commentary. And people, you know, may be different just to be different today because that can be a vibe with Aquarius for sure, especially with Mars and Aquarius right now. Um, and so that brings the potential, you know, for people to maybe act in an erratic sort of manner. And those people could be those around us or it could be ourselves <laughs> that we find, you know, feeling that way. Um, and so, you know, extreme idealism around our personal visions for the world at large may cause some disruption, uh, particularly in the public sphere. So just note that, you know, Thursday might feel a little strange in some way. Now, on Friday, we have the moon still in Aquarius, but she will move to Pisces around midday. Uh, and along the way, she'll make a square to Jupiter very early in the morning, a trine to the sun also early in the morning, and then a sextile to Uranus and Saturn. And so on Friday, we actually have our Mer- two more Mercury aspects going on. We have Mercury making a trine to Neptune, who's currently retrograde. And we also have Mercury making a square to Mars. Ouch. <laughs> um, so once again, we have Mercury, who's, you know, this kind of communicative process, the messages, news, information, um, emails, uh, transactions, things along those lines, you know, what our mind is attuning to. Um, and so it's going to be making uh, contact with Neptune, which can be, you know, Neptune can be a little confusing or uh, a little bit uh, spiritual or inspirational. Um, so there, it's weird. It can be spiritual and like inspire us, but at the same time it can be confusing and uh, a little nebulous. And so there's, it can go both ways or either, <laughs> basically. Um, and Mercury is going to be trining with that influence. So it'll be going to be flowing with Neptune, uh, where things just rapidly develop and, you know, things are just flowing along, which Neptune loves the flow because Neptune knows no boundaries. However, our Mars, which is our focused action and our drive and how we direct our motivation, um, and it's, you know, where we show assertion or aggression and can represent things as anger or accidents or male figures of some sort. Mercury uh, is going to be in a square to Mars, which squares usually uh, present events or uh, that call us into action in some way, or that challenge us, or you know, create some friction. Um, and so, to kind of pair these two together, uh, our Mercury story carries on as the messenger meets the boundlessness of Neptune in Pisces, and the intellectual assertion of Mars in Aquarius. And as Mercury flows with the endless imagination of Neptune, we are likely to be in a bit of a dream world, which can be highly inspirational or exceptionally foggy, like I was just saying, and quite possibly both. You can ping pong from one to the other. Um, And we are more inclined to fantasy and seeing life through a pair of rose-colored glasses, especially on emotional matters. So be... Know that, you know, you might know certain things, but at the same time, there's an ideal idealism that's going on where we might not see things clearly either. Um, so the practical is less likely to be factored in. Um, and the idea of work and focus or concentration may seem rather impossible, which can lead to some mental frustration with Mercury also in a tense configuration with Mars. So where we had our Capricorn energy a few days prior and we're, you know, getting down to business, this is kind of mucking it up a little bit. <laughs> so 
you know, and really idealism may be calling to us, yet it could cause arguments if others don't share our specific views. And so if this is the case, communicating compassionately will be of benefit because we are all likely to be a bit more sensitized than usual, particularly once Luna moves into Pisces later on the day and then throughout the weekend. Uh, So moods may fluctuate and subtle impressions may permeate our awareness. So this can be an excellent time to listen to spirit for any creative or artistic stimulus, as there may be a feeling of connectedness to a deeper well at this time. So if you're inspired, you know that Mars tension can actually help spring these conceptual forms into a planning stage where we're taking action in some way. Which, of course, would be a productive manifestation of this flow. Uh, Yet chances are a lot of us might encounter friction over our ideals, which can lead to irritation and arguments from those around us. Because when Mercury and Mars get together, you know, that uh, (laughs) adds a a bit of aggression to our, our communications. Um, and so if you find yourself, you know, in the, in those irritations or arguments with other people. And, it, you know, it could be a loved one. It could be a driver on the road. It could be a random person on the interwebs, you know. Uh, it can manifest in many different ways. Um, but either, either way, we are likely to have to deal with some sort of debate or contest um, to ourselves or our position. And with Mercury in an intense water sign, our minds are currently colored by deep-seated emotion with a scorpion-like tongue that can be sharp. So, you know, do your best to be kind and, and seek to heal rather than wound. And lastly, please note that this combo of potential fogginess and confusion mixed with the mind and movement could create ripe conditions for accidents to happen. So take your time and refrain from too, you know, too great of impulsivity because mental aggression can manifest physically at this time. And none of us want that. So the bottom line for Friday is, is we, here we have a, a two-part day as Luna moves from Aquarius to Pisces. So you may feel you know, a switch in the energy with that sense of detachment giving way to a more impressionable, sensitive, and emotional vibe. Um, And an early morning trine to the sun helps give some mental harmony and clarity over a matter, with the sextiles to Uranus and Saturn providing practical opportunities to use our intuition and, you know, in an innovative way. So we have the Mercury transits exacting today, yet Mercury square Mars is likely to feel more potent on Thursday, the day prior, with the moon contact. Uh, And then the Mercury trine to Neptune is probably going to manifest more on Saturday. So this is a bit of an in-between zone for both energies where they kind of meet in the middle. Now on Saturday, uh, the moon is fully in Pisces and we'll make an early morning trine to Venus. Uh, And then during the day, we'll make a conjunction to Neptune and then a trine to Mercury. So here we are, we have the moon in Pisces kind of lighting up that uh, Mercury-Neptune trine I was just speaking of. So the bottom line for Saturday is is that today is likely to feel rather dreamy with Luna cruising through impressionable Pisces. Uh, And she makes a conjunction to Neptune and a trine to Mercury, lighting up that Mercury-Neptune trine that perfected yesterday. So, you know, we may feel like we want to escape in some way and entertain the inner world more deeply than usual, making this a particularly psychic and spiritual type of day. And so creativity will be on flow. So if you are in the arts, this can be a very fruitful day full of imaginative possibilities. And it may be more attractive to kind of lay low right now as energy might feel a little, you know, lower 
Um, and there could be an underlying sense of vulnerability permeating our beings with, you know, that, that Pisces impressionability. So now on Sunday, we still have the moon in Pisces, and she will make an early morning sextile to Pluto and then a trine to Jupiter. Um, and so the bottom line for Sunday is that the chill pill continues as we have another day of the moon in Pisces. So you can kind of consider this weekend a wash, but in a good way. That trying to Jupiter has us in an emotional, a peaceful flow, and impressions regarding the next stage of our journey may be filtering in, giving insight into the transitions and changing dynamics that are taking place. Rest up and get ready for next week as we start full force with a fiery moon in Aries that is waxing her way to di- that dynamic and potentially surprising full moon uh, in Taurus next Wednesday. So we get, uh, we get quite a start next week. So take this uh, weekend opportunity to kind of, you know, co- collect. <laughs> so to wrap it all up here, uh, the mind is getting worked this week and we are likely to have some ups and downs in our perceptions and our communications. Regardless of what you encounter, know that everyone is learning at this time. Move forward and use this dynamic waxing energy to make moves in your life that support an emotionally mature approach to tangible and practical change. All right, so let's take a look at the cards because they always add an extra little dynamic uh, to look at. And so this week I drew the High Priestess as the focus and the Knight of Wands as the grounding. And with the High Priestess as the focus, we have special access this week to the world of intuition, dreams, and mystery. And it seems rather fitting with all these Mercury aspects this week, particularly the one to Neptune. And there is a flow, you know, that's taking place this week that allows us to tune into our inner direction and acknowledge the wisdom that is coming in. So listen closely to that little voice within and trust that it knows what it is talking about. Something wants to come out from behind the shadows, so allow yourself a moment or two of silence to connect with that inner directive. Uh, Because if you are in a creative field, you know, this could actually be a very potential, uh, potentially fruitful week for you. So I will take note myself. (laughs) Now, with the Knight of Wands as the grounding, there is energy that supports a rise in confidence levels, which allow you to actively put your ideas into action. Um, And if we are focusing on the message of the High Priestess, the Knight is then saying, take that piece of knowledge and run with it. The Knight of Wands is known for an ambitious persona, which fears no one and lets nothing get in its way. He trusts the instincts of the high priestess and is likely to stir events into motion with a quickness. But because uh, the night is so quick, you know, we got to make sure we're not stepping in our own way, too, because uh, these two together can create some type of steam. Um, So let's move forward there, uh, but do so in a way that is honoring that wisdom that is coming to us now. Now, last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's Animal Ambassador, the cheetah. Yes, that is actually the sound a cheetah makes. This lightning-fast land animal is encouraging us to get clear on our intentions and move quickly to achieve our goals. A cheetah can run up to 70 miles per hour in pursuit of its goal, otherwise known as its prey. (laughs) And we, too, must stay focused on what is in our sights and move toward that mission. 
Much like the Knight of Wands, the cheetah is signifying passionate movement that hurries us along towards our goal. Cast away all the if, ands, or buts, and, you know, take action. Write down what your intention or your intentions are and get as clear as possible before you make your move. Listing the steps of your plan and or using your intention as an affirmation can help in the manifestation process. Take one step at a time and keep moving closer and closer to that which you are trying to accomplish. Now, if you'd like to go deeper with the energy of the week, I I encourage you to check out my tarot subscription on Patreon. Each week, I provide a custom tarot spread that is aligned with the astrological transits of the week so that you can connect the cards to the transits. I also feature a crystal and an inspirational quote that gets your wheels a-thinking. And so last week, we worked on cycling through change, and this week, we worked on spirit beats matter. Now, uh, just to remind you, I do have that giveaway going on um, where we're going to announce the winner on the full moon uh, on a couple weeks from now. Um, and so if you want to sign up, now would be the time to do it. And I also have a poll running um, where I am encouraging people to reach out and tell me what they would like to see as a service because perhaps you're not a patron yet, but there was something that would entice you. So I welcome any type of um, suggestions. This is a Mercury week. So if you have something to share or something you'd like to see or something that would make you more inclined uh, to, to sign up, I would love to know. I definitely appreciate constructive criticism. So if you want to find out more about all that and see a freebie spread, uh, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay, now let's meet our guest. All right, I am so happy to welcome this week's special guest, Nina Griffin. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Mel. It's a pleasure. Yes, absolute pleasure to speak to you. And I've heard you speak on a handful of occasions. That's how I'm aware of the great Nina. And I'm always just so um, happy at the takeaways you give through astrology. So I'm happy to have you here today. So for those of uh, my listeners that do not know who you are, and they absolutely should, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I am an astrologer who has been practicing as a professional astrologer since about the year 2000. So almost a complete great conjunction, which is 20 years. Um, And my background particularly and interest is in what is called traditional astrology, which is now sort of defined as astrology as it was practiced perhaps uh, before the Enlightenment era. So perhaps 17th century and earlier Um, I practice a Western style of astrology in contrast to, say, Vedic astrology, which is also traditional and very ancient. Um, And my interests are um, primarily in, I'm of course interested in natal astrology, but my interests are very much in electional astrology, astrological magic, and horary astrology as well. Yes. And that is why we have you on today, because we're going to talk about just that. We're going to talk about astrological magic uh, in elections and talismans in particular. And I am a total newbie when it comes to anything having to do with, uh, you know, talismans or kind of the magical side of astrology. I mean, it's all magic, but this is a little bit different. Um, And I'm just so excited personally to learn more about it today. So I hope that everybody listening is just as excited as I am. So I guess a good way to get started here is, you know, what what is electional astrology first and foremost? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. 
And electional astrology is um, astrology that allows you to take advantage of favorable astrological alignments to hopefully bake them into events or, um, or projects that you're about to embark on. A very, very common use of electional astrology, not just here, but also in India, this is like a common thing, is to elect the time and date for your wedding. And the goal of this is not only to have a smooth wedding, which of course is important, especially if it's a very complicated ceremony and, and party, but also ideally to have a good start to the marriage. And so people spend a lot of time and a lot of money uh, figuring out when is the most auspicious time and date for them to get married. Interestingly, um, I learned a few years ago when I visited China that people do this in other places, even like from a non-astrological perspective. So I don't know if you're aware, but like in Chinese, there are a lot of um, words that are called homophones where like they sound like other words. There's just a lot of that. And so people there spend a lot of time figuring out which dates sound like good words and they get married on those dates, if that makes sense. Oh, how funny. <laughs> yeah. So is that astrological? But this is just to show how, how very like obsessed people are worldwide with the idea that there are certain dates and times to do certain things that are a lot luckier and hopefully will bring you a lot more fortune going forward than other dates. Yeah. Whole, yeah. Electional astrology is about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it makes absolute sense, especially as, you know, I consider myself a star tracker and that's what I'm talking about every week here when I talk about particular, you know, transits in the sky and how that might, you know, relate to our experience of the world within it. I can absolutely uh, imagine the, um, the, the potency of, of a chart of something as important as a wedding, you know, because th that's what I'm looking for is like kind of good and bad days, it's essentially. Right. And so we want to get married on a good day, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. And, but you know, it's not just marriage, of course, it's so much other stuff. I mean, people have asked me for elections for things that I never in a hundred years <laughs> would have ever guessed. Um, you know, so people will ask, for example, when should I start looking for jobs? You know, like let's say that they're in a period where they're ready and they, they just want to commence that at a lucky time. And that, by the way, works very well. I've done that myself and it's, that's super effective. Um, but you have a lot of other options. You can, you know, for the start of a business or the start of a journey. I mean, there's just so much stuff you can do. Um, if you look at old texts, people elected like when to take baths, which... I, I don't even want to, <laughs> probably didn't take very many bats, but, um, yes, it goes to show like you can really apply this to big things or little things. That's hilarious. Well, yeah. that's, that is where we got the term, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? There you know, maybe they're electing <laughs> if the baby was going to make it. <laughs> that's right. That's so funny. What would you say, uh, would be you know, maybe a, a more unique request for electionals. Oh, I have a few that I can think of for sure. Um, one very interesting one was I had a, a client who was very unhappy with how her husband was being treated by his parents, who I guess were very overbearing and very controlling of their lives. And the two of them wanted to um, get married, but it just wasn't possible. So they basically decided, and these were adults, like I'm not talking about kids. These were like full on grown adults. Yeah. They were going to try to like run away essentially. <laughs> and they wanted to know like, okay, can we run away in a way that they're not going to find us so easily? And so I helped them find a time to do that. So that's oh probably God. the more interesting and unique. And that's what I mean. Like you would never, ever predict um, that somebody could ask that. Yeah. Well, I guess they really had to get away. Well, I hope it was successful. <laughs> I 
was. It was. I heard from them some years later, and it sounds like it worked out okay. So, oh my um, goodness. Yeah, yeah. You can do a lot of stuff with astrology that's just fun. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Now, okay. So, if we are electing, uh, you know, using astrology to elect particular times that are more potent or more fortunate for whatever our consideration may be, um, you know, how does astrological, well, basically, what is astrological magic and how does that fit into electional astrology? Oh, absolutely. So, you can think of electional astrology as kind of like the gateway to uh, electional or astrological magic. And I'll give you a little bit of history, if you don't mind, just to kind of put things in context for your listeners. So one of the things about astrological magic is that it's very old. And there are forms of astrological magic, as we recognize it, in texts that are well over 2,000 years old. And I'm sure it goes back a lot further than that. It's just that books don't survive that long. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, But it's a very old discipline. However, it really went sort of underground and not just underground, but a lot of the expertise that was sort of more common knowledge until about the 1700s in the West was pretty much lost as, um, as most of astrology kind of went, um, it didn't really go away exactly, but it definitely underwent sort of a hibernation um, in the 1700s until the 20th century. And so in the 20th century, people started getting more interested in old texts and translations, but that didn't really start happening until probably the 1980s or 90s. So we really have this maybe like 300-year period where people didn't really have access to all these old texts that talk about, oh, if you want to make a talisman, and I'll explain that in a minute, but you know, if you want to do astrological magic, here's what you do. And so really what we're experiencing now is a revival of a very old discipline that was kind of hidden and underground and forgotten for probably about three centuries, if not longer. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll explain a little bit about what it is just to, you know, after yeah. having built that up. <laughs> um, so astrological magic is, it's kind of like electional astrology, but you're not electing an action in the way that you are, you know, you're not electing a wedding. What you're electing instead is a time to create like a magical charm or talisman, to be more technical, um, that will bring you what you want. So a very common use of astrological magic, as you can probably imagine, is for romance, right? To bring you like a new relationship or to be more attractive to other people. And so what somebody might do is they might look at the astrology of the next, say, several months, or in some cases, several years. Like there are some elections people wait for years because they're so unique and awesome. Mm. And, uh, and they will, let's say they really want to emphasize the planet Venus, which rules love. So you can imagine that a, you know, a talisman for this purpose would have a very prominent Venus. So they find a time where Venus is in a strong sign, where she's happy, where she's positioned um, in the heavens in a sort of auspicious way. And then at that time, they will create an object made from, let's say, um, materials that are ruled by Venus. So the metal copper is Venusian. Um, and they might, you know, they might carve like a magical image, which there are books that tell you like, oh, the image of Venus is this, you know. Um, at that time, um, perhaps, you know, um, saying like a prayer or petition for what they want the talisman to do for them. So that's astrological magic. So there's an electional component, but there's also a ritual and creative component as well. 
Mm. Now it's, well, it's so funny because I just saw online a couple of days ago, another fellow astrologer, Christina Codell, she had, um, she had made a talisman uh, for Venus for, or had someone make it for her for this particular Venus retrograde. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And then I was thinking about how you're coming on here. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to learn more. Oh, now, sure. Um, quite, real quick, when you're making such a, such an object, because obviously some things can be more, uh, take more time to make or more in depth if you're carving things out or have to forge the metal or what have you. Um, now, would that electional time be kind of the time to start upon yes. the talisman? Yes. And that's a great question. And it's a common question because you're right. You might, in some cases, you might need to prepare the material, you know, even days in advance, depending on what you're doing. And I know you're an artist, so I'm sure this is like a very, um, you're, <laughs> I can tell you're asking very highly qualified. The process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I suggest is, you no, know, you just use that election for starting. And what in fact I do, and this is a little bit personal because while there is information in all these old texts about how to do it, they don't, they don't like spoon feed it to you. So some things you have to kind of try out for yourself. But what I find works is that you can prepare your ritual space well in advance of the election, however long it takes you. And then um, once the actual electional period, which might only be say 10 minutes comes up, that's when you actually um, start, you know, um, engraving the image or, or writing down the, um, the petition that you have. Mm. It's okay if you finish, you know, after the, the window closes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some, I mean, some things just take some time and oh, yeah. depending on how much, you know, energy you're putting in there, but that kind of makes, that yes. makes sense. Um, it's much like an event chart. If we're looking at something, the start of something as yes. well, you know, and how it's going to kind of go on, you know, through that period. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, now talisman, I just, when I just say the word, it sounds so occultic exotic. And, mi- yes. Exotic yes. and mystical <laughs> to me. Um, but we're, we're talking about it in a very, uh, you know, practical fashion though, too. I mean, what is, a, what is a 20th century talisman or sorry, 21st century talisman, yeah. talisman look like compared to maybe a 15th century? Oh, one? sure. <laughs> well, there's a lot more overlap in the traditional community than you might think, because many people today, as you can imagine, look toward models from say the 15th century, you know, there are known talismans that are like in museums or there are pictures of them. And so you can, you know, a lot of people who have those kind of skills can actually try to recreate um, or at least sort of loosely model their current talismans. Um, There is a very uh, popular goldsmith in the traditional astrology and magic community named Tony Mack. I don't know if you know him, mm-hmm. but Tony is kind of awesome because he is a, a um, he's a professional goldsmith with an interest in the occult. And so in addition to making just kind of ordinary mundane jewelry, he also takes, um, he, you know, he will take commissions to make uh, a talisman for you um, you know, for the thing that you want. And he will do it at the appropriate time. Like this guy will get up at 2 a.m. or whatever, you know, just to like hit that electional window, right? And, uh, and so his style, I mean, he's just one of many, but he's somebody who's obviously a very highly skilled professional. So his style is sort of a little bit more traditional, but obviously with some nods to modern stylistic um, conventions and, and, and fashion. Uh, however, there's really no rule and you don't have to make your talismans beautiful to make them effective. If you look at very old books that have, um, actually these aren't so much books. I'm thinking about talismans that have been found in, in various locations where they're like carved or people are trying to draw a picture on them. They really look like they were done by like three-year-olds. They look really bad. 
<laughs> and, you know, I don't know if they were effective or not, but like, if you think about it, people didn't used to necessarily be literate for the most part. So they weren't maybe even used to like holding a pencil or whatever, you know? So if you think about it, the level of the average talisman was probably not very high and you were, well, unless you were wealthy and you could get somebody to make you this like amazing ring or, you know, whatever else, right. That would be very costly and out of reach for most people. Yeah. So it kind of comes down more so to, to the right timing and the intention of it all more so than, you know, the luxury of the materials. Um, That's exactly right. I will say though, I think the, the planetary alignment of the materials themselves is an essential part that I think a lot of modern astrologers might not um, think about because that is a very sort of odd thing where it, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be a great idea to carve your Venus talisman or your Venus image in a metal that is ruled by Saturn, which is lead, um, for example, just because you are sort of working against um, the alignment of the Venusian energies. And so it's very helpful when you're doing your first talisman to do a little bit of research ahead of time to look at, okay, what are the planetary colors for the planet that you're trying to bring into your life? What are maybe the, the materials or metals or gems, right? And the idea is that you want to make this like as Venus as possible. You don't want there to be a lot of mixing of symbolism with other planets. Mm, yes, because you're trying to align with the energy, not confuse it. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> now, where would someone go about finding out, you know, what metal aligns with Venus or Jupiter or, you know, all these little details? Sure. Yeah. So I'm trying to, there are a lot of options now. Certainly there's information on the internet, but there's also a lot of misinformation on the internet. Yeah. So you have to be a little careful. Um, if it comes to actual physical books, there's a wonderful book by, um, by Lee Lehman, who is a traditional astrologer. It's called the book of rulerships. And I don't know many people who have it or use it, but it's, um, I think it's one of her finest books. And what she did is she looked at, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 different traditional books that lay out lists because traditional books were all about lists. And it would say like the metals of the planets are this and, and the, the animals of the planets are this. So, you know, just that kind of stuff. And she very carefully, I believe she's at least a double, if not a triple Virgo, she very carefully um, collated all of these texts. And so what you can do is you have this giant index and you're, if you want to say, and you know, you look under Venus and you can see everything that falls under Venus. And then if you also want to look at a specific thing like copper, it'll tell you exactly how many and which authors attributed that to Venus. You know, so it gives you some comfort that you're not just looking at some source that's sort of wacky or not very reliable. Um, yeah. yeah. And I love that book. I, I bought that book and it is a great tool for, for many things, you know, not yes. even the, you know, the, the magical or electional side. Uh, you just looking, I mean, I use it all the time to just kind of spark my own imagination as to what is going to be taking place in the planets, uh, just based off these old, you know, rulerships and alignments. Right. Um, right. and of course I'd love a 21st century one that, you know, right. guides me to some of the, you mm -hmm. know, things. I look up things all the time and I'm like, where is it? Why isn't here? Why is <laughs> there a cell phone in there? Why yeah. isn't there a cell phone? <laughs> I mean, we can kind of get that a little closer, but it is such a solid resource and she mm -hmm. is, she's a, such a solid resource. She is. Absolutely. <laughs> so Very much. I highly recommend uh, checking her out. And I think, I want to say she did a post not too long ago where she fessed up to being a triple Virgo. I want to say. Oh, yeah. That's what, yeah. So, I seem to remember that in one of her books. She mentions it. 
And I get it. <laughs> yeah, I get it too, for sure. Um, so that would be an ex. So the book of rulerships, and I'll link that on my blog so that you can get to it. Um, and like Nina was saying, the the uh, great thing about that book is that it's just not one person's opinion. You know, she took mm-hmm. several astrologers and you know put them side by side, so you can see the varying um, you know uh, associations by you know what mind is aligning with what. That's right. Um, and so to get back to our talismans here, um, I was going to see, you know, what kind of talismans, you know, you've yeah. made for people or talismanic stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get in there, I, you did a post not too long ago, I want to say, um, that I think that a lot of people should recognize because uh, I want to say it was back in the lunar eclipse um, back in August, uh, where we're talking about, cause you know, people who collect crystals and stuff like that, because people mm-hmm. use those all the time for talismanic type of stuff, or we're charging our crystals under the full moon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember you being like, okay, for you crystal chargers out there, like, let's be aware of what this, the, what the lunar energy is looking like, because if you're setting intention under something that can be a little, uh, you know, malefic by nature. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yes. And I, I think that's an interesting thing. I've, I've just seen that more recently, but I think with the internet, everything kind of becomes amplified. And so whether it's right or wrong, you know, people just get excited about stuff. Yeah. The, um, the eclipse historically and traditionally is considered absolutely a malefic event. So Mm -hmm. it's not something that you would generally create a talisman for. Now I will say historically, and I'll, I'll, I can give you sources, but there are books that will teach you how to make talismans that are very negative and destructive. In some cases, those are very valid things. Like you can make pest control talismans, which makes sense because in the absence of technology and chemistry and things like that, uh, people did what they could to get rid of cockroaches and you know things like that in their homes. So you can; those are often very negative and destructive talismans. And for those, maybe you want to do that under an eclipse, right? But don't forget that an eclipse is very much a negative um, um, event astrologically because it, it pertains to a loss of light. And in astrology, light is equal to life. And so in other words, if you are something that is, you know, if it's cutting off light from one of the luminaries, um, you're definitely talking about a destructive and harmful event. So you could inadvertently curse yourself with uh, with a talisman like that. Yeah. And then, you know, these are good things to know because I kind of had an inkling about it. I was like, I don't know if I want to charge my crystals there. And I saw your post and I was like, okay, (laughs) yes, no, that's so just for you crystal, uh, you know, collectors out there word to the wise that not every, uh, (laughs) full moon moon is created equally. That's Um, right. I know we have a very, we don't have an eclipse going on right now. We're recording this the day before uh, our new moon in Libra taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's some interesting energy in this one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yes, definitely. So um, should be an interesting lunar month. Uh, but mm-hmm. yes, keep that thing in mind. Um, now, okay, so let's talk about some, what, uh, can you share with us some of the more interesting, uh, you know, versions of talismans or just what people come to you for, or, you know, like anything. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So, um, I I should probably back up a little bit and say there are many different magical, um, techniques that you can use. I just use the example of, you know, a very simple planetary talisman. Like I just want the energies of Venus, right? Totally straightforward. But there are so many other things that people do with talismans. There is something called the lunar mansions, which are also extremely helpful. Um, and this is basically a subdivision of the zodiac into 28 um, unequal sized uh, areas where when the moon passes through them, you can do talismans 
that had the characteristics of that particular mansion. And so this is something that is, um, it's definitely in China, in Chinese astrology, they use lunar mansions. They're a little different. Um, and then there are Arabic lunar mansions, which is what we Westerners usually use. Um, if your readers are interested in this area, they can pick up a book called the Picatrix, P-I-C-A-T-R-I-X. And that is a magical book from, um, from the time of the Arabic um, occupation of what is now Spain. So it kind of blends together um, Arabic and even some older, in my opinion, Egyptian elements of magic. And it was eventually translated into Latin and it made its way into Europe. And it's been very recently translated into English, finally. And one of the topics it has, in addition to just general talismanic education, it talks about lunar mansions. So with that, to answer your question directly, um, often it can be very helpful to make lunar mansion talismans for people because lunar mansions all do different things. So there is one that's just like good for everything. You know, it's good for like growth and happiness and wealth. There's another one that's very good for healing. There is another one that's really good for say romance. Um, you know, it has kind of more of an erotic flavor. And then there are others that are more destructive, which again, I don't really make for people, but they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the point is that I have made different talismans depending on the person's need. So I think if you're going to be a professional maker of talismans, having a repertoire of techniques open to you is really great because that means that you don't have to wait three years until like, you know, Jupiter enters a sign that you really like, yeah. you can utilize other things going on that will also bring about the desired result. So I've made a lot of talismans, of course, that have to do with relationships and attractiveness. I think that's still a very popular um, area. But I also have made a number um, that pertain to wealth or success in one's job. Um, I've also made a surprising number for artists and writers who want to be become more famous and who want to have um, you know just kind of a better reception of their work. So you can really do talismans for, I mean, again, anything that you can think of, there's probably a talisman out there for it. Mm, that's, that's interesting. And I'm like, I'll be a check, check, check. Yes, I'll I want all those things. Nina. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, okay, now uh, here we go. As far as like making this talisman, is there, uh, is there an expiration date on talismans? Mm, that's a great question. And I think there's some discussion over this, but in general, it's, it's thought that uh, talismans that are made with uh, gems or with, um, with metals hold the charge for a long time, probably indefinitely. Mm. So technically, if you see one of those like rings in the museum, that's a talisman, maybe that's still effective. I don't know. I've never had the opportunity to wear one, but you know, I do wonder. Yeah. How do we know really? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But supposedly that's the case. I, when I make talismans and, you know, I am not in any way a jeweler or anything resembling one, um, I make talismans on paper. However, that paper will have been previously um, steeped in like a mix of herbs. So like a tea made from herbs belonging to a particular planet. If it's a lunar mansion talisman, it'll have uh, lunar herbs and so on. And, um, and so that actually works. Those work for a long time as well. So I'm not convinced that just because it's sort of a softer or more, um, you know, kind of a, a more ephemeral material that the talismans themselves stop working. Hmm. 
That's that's interesting. Yeah, I saw you. You had made some recently that you had. You were like, oh, yes, I made this. And they're on paper. Yeah, yeah, it was very cool, and they all looked unique. I liked how they were all, um, you know, individually done in a sense. Like it was all right. together, but they all had their own uniqueness uh, that mm-hmm. would go out to people. So, absolutely. You know, how regular are you doing this type of uh, thing? Are you know, you- I try to do something at least once a month. Um, for me, it's it's an artistic expression. I recently. Um, re um, sort of revive my love of lino cuts. And what I do is now I make a lino cut of a particular glyph or an image. Mm-hmm. And then at the astrological moment, of course, I will have prepared my little workspace and everything. And at the astrological moment, I just start making and stamping lino cuts of that particular talisman on paper. I, I think it works pretty well. Um, I, it's, it's a relatively new thing for me. And I've, um, and just, just to add a little color. So the talisman that I think Mel is talking about is, uh, it's a Regulus talisman and it's for a fixed star. Oh, yes. Regulus is a fixed star that brings, um, it's, it's kind of a military star in that it brings kind of like victory and just general awesomeness and everybody thinks you're so great. And it, it's really good for like publicity, but also it's really good for, um, it's really good for just being in a situation where you're kind of seen as the hero or the rescuer. That's been my experience. And, um, Shortly after I made these talismans, I took one of them to work and I just kind of, you know, put it, put it on my desk to see what would happen. And so most recently, um, my, my day job is being an attorney and I don't usually get involved in litigation. I mostly negotiate agreements, but very recently we started, um, getting into a potential litigation and I've been getting a lot of very positive feedback at work. Like, oh, this is so great. Like, thanks for doing this. You know, I was just, and I was like, wow, this is like the regular experience, you know, like other people sort of look to you to like be their hero, which is, you know, in my job, like I'm a contract negotiator. It's not glamorous, but this is like my, my moment. So I'm wondering if my regular talisman kind of brought about this sort of adversarial situation, which ordinarily wouldn't be in my experience. Hmm. That's, well, that's interesting. We might, we might not know. <laughs> that's right. It's like, that's the thing is it's, it's all, um, it's, it's hard to like, I mean, yeah. how many times when you have a talisman, do you, do you, um, would you say that like concrete, you know, evidence comes in after the fact, like this is working. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. There is no, there is no, um, you know, text in the sky telling you your talisman is working. You just have to think about the symbolism and consider if it's something that would have easily happened without the talisman. But I agree, you may you may never know for sure. Which begs the you know question if like just the idea of the talisman kind of can create a placebo effect in, in yep. a way, um, in a good way, you know, like. Oh, yeah. You know what? If that's what placebo is, I'll take it, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. If it works, it works. And, you know, that's only testament to the power of, you know, our own our mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, hey. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, so have, have you ever heard of cases where, you know, now or back mm-hmm. in the day where people would have to destroy talismans? Yes, all and, the time. And I've done it. And I think most people who are into this have done it because- for a couple of reasons, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. You might end up with a talisman that isn't working as intended. I think that's pretty rare. I think once you kind of understand the symbolism and what you're doing and you're not trying to curse yourself via, you know, via <laughs> an eclipse or something, um, usually that doesn't happen. But I think as you're starting out, you might come up with a few. You're like, oh, that, I just feel like my life isn't better after making that. And you can certainly destroy them. That's the advantage of having paper is you can just burn it or, you know, tear it up or whatever you want. Um, with, you know, if you just spent, 
you know, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars making a ring or something, then that's kind of a little bit more expensive, right? Um, It's the other reason that you might want to sort of start out making, um, making them on less expensive materials. Yeah, that would make sense in case, you know, good things go bad, (laughs) however that looks, or you feel, you don't feel right about it. You can at least uh, get rid of it with any um, Mm -hmm. woe of finance. Uh, Now, are there any like legendary talismans that Oh, like specific legendary talismans that are supposed to be incredibly effective. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, if there are, we don't necessarily know. Mm. Um, And I don't, well, I will tell you one. There's one that's, it's not legendary because it's entirely real. And it's the talisman that is basically a whole room. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean. So in Renaissance Italy, um, the wealthy people at the time were super obsessed with astrological magic. And the reason for this is that Renaissance Italy was an extremely volatile and dangerous place, including um, also for very wealthy and powerful people. If you think of like the Medicis and they were all like poisoning each other, this was going on. It was extremely rampant. It was just a very um, fluid time. And it just, it, it was not a good time to be in any position of power or wealth, interestingly. So nobody was feeling very secure. And so all of these people who otherwise had really great economic resources and kind of these like Renaissance bankers and merchants and stuff um, wanted to kind of improve their odds of survival and of getting and of getting power and of intimidating their enemies, you know. And so there is a um, there's a villa in, in Italy that was built by one of these um, very wealthy banking families that also had a lot of kind of connections to the nobility. And the special thing about this villa is that it contains a room that has essentially the symbolic equivalent of the owner's horoscope painted on the walls. And when I mean the symbolic equivalent, it's covered in frescoes, which of course are large paintings on the walls that are beautifully done you know, they got some, um, they got a fairly famous artist of the time to come out from his own, wherever he lived in his city, he would come over, he painted the frescoes at an astrologically auspicious time. I think they even, if I'm not mistaken, they even told him what time to leave his house to come over there. Like everything was just controlled to the nth degree. And he came over and he created like, um, the frescoes, if you don't know astrology, I mean, if you don't understand symbolism, they're just kind of interesting paintings. But if you do know astrology, you realize that these are um, symbolic portrayals of planetary placements for the person who owned the house and who ordered it built. And it's beautifully done, and they've been pretty well preserved over the years. Um, There are nice pictures of them online as well. And the idea was that having your own horoscope painted in this way um, in your, this was like their, you know, living room or whatever, where, you know, everybody would come over who's visiting including rivals and people who like secretly are plotting to poison the owner, right? <laughs> uh, because of course, you know, people who might be nice to you, they're visiting, but in reality, they're plotting your demise and downfall. Yes. And, and so the idea was that the horoscope would be so powerful and would have such a powerful effect that it would essentially neutralize and intimidate sort of subconsciously the people who are there who wish to do harm and, um, and stop them from being able to do harm and even kind of drive them subconsciously out of the house. Well, so this didn't really work, (laughs) by the way. Um, Yeah, because there's really not any kind of 
honestly, magical or astrological evidence that having um, a symbolic portrayal of your horoscope is going to intimidate your enemies. I don't think it really works like that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the owner's horoscope, as we could best reconstruct it from these paintings, had some very negative um, indications that, you know, he was not going to make it. And there are some pretty violent, um, pretty violent sort of um, indications in the chart. So that indeed is what happened. Um, the owner was, I believe he was poisoned and his wife and children were left on their own, at which point um, her family um, sort of took them away and they confiscated the house and um, the woman died soon after. And there's, there are rumors that she was poisoned too, so that the family could get a hold of the money and essentially take it away from these two orphans. So it's a really tragic story. Um, and the reason I'm telling it to you is this is probably to me, the best known talisman, but it's also one that was created not really in alignment with how talismans are made, if that makes sense. And in fact, if anything, it may have um, emphasized some of the more unfortunate placements in the original owner's chart that he probably shouldn't have um, tried to emphasize. Yeah. Well, (laughs) well, as you were saying that, I was thinking, okay, wait, he's electing a time to basically uh, ramp up his own chart or the thought of it or like his statement within his home. But like what, like we were talking about earlier with the eclipses, you know, what, what does his promise look like? If his promise does not not look, if it's not not a good good promise, promise, you know, if you're putting magic behind it. Totally. Very counterproductive. (laughs) Yes. It's a fascinating story. If anybody's interested in reading about it, it's, um, it's in an academic book called influences, which despite being academic is highly readable and interesting. And it's all about the use of art and magic in Renaissance Italy. And so this story is, is portrayed there. Oh yeah. Well, okay. Well, that, I guess that's a little word to the wise of, yes, don't do uh, that. Don't do that. Or, or like even boosting yourself. Cause if you think about his intention behind it, he was yes. like basically splattering his own mm-hmm. influence. Uh, and it was just <laughs> right. going to work out in the end. Um, now I'm, I was likening back to what you were saying, uh, when we first started talking about how, uh, astrological, um, you know, magic has had kind of been lost for about 300 years before coming back to us in like the eighties or nineties when, you know, resources started coming out or, or refound, you know? Um, and I'm wondering if that really falls in line with just what, you know, us as humans were experiencing in the last 300 years, with the scientific revolution and everything and how maybe those things falling, falling away, um, to be revisited again, uh, kind of bring back the power with, you know, just that much more oomph to it, you know, once we lost it and like just went complete kind of science. I don't know. Does that even make sense? (laughs) It makes total sense. It makes total sense. It reminds me of something someone said recently and I forget who it was, but you know, like astrology and I suppose magic is sentient. You know, it's sort of, you can think of it as like this being um, and the way that it was historically personified. Don't forget that astrology had its own muse. Urania is the muse of astrology. So you can think of it as like astrology is a goddess, right? Like it's not just like this field of study. It is personified and it's, it is a being in a way. And it makes sense to me that, you know, beings just like everywhere, you know, they have their moments of glory and then they kind of might go underground for a while. But because this is a being that's essentially immortal, they might, as you say, reemerge at a different time to be reborn, maybe in a slightly different way, but again, kind of re-empowered. So what you're saying makes complete sense to me. Mm, yes. Let's, let's re-empower that, that magic. Cause you mm-hmm. know, the world needs a little like, yes, 
Absolutely. Um, and when you were saying that you'd made um, talismans for, you know, uh, art, artists and performers, mm-hmm. musicians, you know, people like myself uh, for, <laughs> excuse me, for success and stuff. But I'm wondering if you make a talisman, uh, maybe this is a personal wish here, you know, to keep that muse, you know, like. Oh, for sure. Yeah. To like. For creativity, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you definitely can. I mean, it's one of those things where it will naturally ebb and flow, of course, just because that's the nature of life and things ebb and flow. But it makes, I've certainly done something like that. In fact, um, when I started getting into magic, I, I this would have been, um, it was probably well over 10 years ago that I really got into astrological magic. But about six or seven years ago, I had this inspiration to do a talisman. And this is going to be so incredibly like, um, like a Mobius strip, um, where I decided that I was going to make a talisman to enhance my own magical abilities, which seems bizarre, right? Because like, unless you have them, you can't, like, you, you know, you can see it, right? <laughs> but I, I thought, you know what, I'm like, if, if you are, if this really is a petition to kind of gods, right? Like if you're really treating this as not something that's just coming from within me, but you are trying to connect to these larger forces, then it should work because this is really just a statement of my intention. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and it worked phenomenally well. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I don't know why or how, but like my, again, maybe just the placebo effect, right? Maybe that's all it was, <laughs> but it worked wonderfully well. And so it seems to me that if you, if even as you know, a very like uh, a, a novice magician, if you can make a talisman to make you better, it seems to me that if you're an accomplished artist and you say, you know what, I want to be a better artist or whatever you want to be, why wouldn't that be possible? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're, we keep coming back to intention here and how that's really much a part of it. So like just aligning our intentions with the right moments, you know, in, in the astrological sky to kind of like help, uh, mold everything together into this, this object. Um, and it makes me think, I wonder if people are more inclined to make talismans that are of the, you know, um, the earthly persuasion, you know, cause we are mm-hmm. talking about like a physical object here mm-hmm. that, you know, do you, have you ever noticed that? Or do you find that people come to you more earth-like people come to you for talismans or like people that like just really put um, ah, weight into something that's, you know, a physical object? Yes, definitely. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I think it's very human to want a physical object to be a talisman because you can definitely speak your intention or prayer to the universe. But I think having a physical object sort of as the focus of it does seem to empower us. And maybe it's just, you know, we are embodied beings. We live in the material world, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And so having a physical object to focus that on, I think will only empower your intention. Yeah. And empower your shrine. If you have like a, yes. <laughs> your little, uh, little space, your sacred space that you can go and, and you know, set your daily intentions to. Totally. Um, I love it. And have you made any for uh, this Venus retrograde at all? Have you? No, no. In general, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to. I think okay. Venus, you know, from a traditional perspective, Venus is very debilitated right now. So her energies are not going to be coming through in, in a way that is particularly usable. Um, but again, I mean, you know, if you're making a cursed talisman on somebody's love life, <laughs> this oh. would be really great. <laughs> yes. This um, is so you have to be careful. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So and let's let's keep it light, people. Let's keep yes. let's keep our intentions exactly. positive. Right. Yes, because we have enough dark matter out there. We really do. We really do. Yes. So let's uh, make these talismans for for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Nina, before we wrap up here, are there any more uh, references or anything you would like to share in addition? You know, to get people oh, sure. uh, absolutely you know, aligned with how to take this a little further. Yeah. So, like I said, I think the Picatrix is very helpful. Um, I think it's a great book that just has like, it will teach you everything about astrological magic as it was practiced, say 700, 800 years ago that you need to know. Um, So I highly recommend that. Um, Yes, you will need to understand rulerships. So the book of rulerships is um, another great resource. You don't really need a lot of resources, but I do think that you need to really study what you do have um, very carefully and respectfully. Because I think sometimes people get a little bit too creative because that's kind of the the culture that we live in. And, you know, they're like, well, you know, copper doesn't, I don't have any copper. Maybe I could just use this other thing. And you're like, nah, you really can't. It's not going to work as well, you know? So I think it's important to be, as I said, sort of respectful of the tradition. And then once you gain expertise, you will also figure out where you do have a lot of leeway and where it's best not to make too many changes. But that's just something that comes from experience. Yes. And so now, and if people don't necessarily want to make their own uh, talismans, uh, they can come to people like yourself, right? To- mm-hmm, absolutely. I'll make them for you. Um, I, like I said, I do it sort of as an art. So ideally you end up with something that you can like happily display in your home or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, I, Tony Mac is great. If you want to buy like a, an astrological talismanic ring, then he's your guy for that. Nice. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you know, I'm ready to make my own talisman here when the time is right. We'll make a, we'll, <laughs> that's great. Well, let me know if I can help. Happy to, um, happy to answer any questions, Mel, if you, if you want them. Yes. Well, yes, you are the person I would go to. Um, and you also, you know, before we wrap up here, you also share things. Um, I want to say through the mountain astrologer, you are sharing things about haircutting, which is kind of like an electional time. Yeah, that, that is totally right. electional and that's so much magical, but yes, people, you can time your haircuts to be more astrologically aligned with what you want to achieve for your hair. <laughs> so if you want your hair to grow fast or slow or bushy or whatever, there's probably an astrological time to do that. Um, I do have a column in the Mount Astrologer that gives a couple of elections for every month that you can use to make your own talismans. And in addition, the column also has a little piece that's sort of like learn another thing about how to make talismans more in general, kind of like a mini lesson. So one month it might be, here are some of the, here are some of like the sacred words that you can use when you're making talismans. And another month I'll talk about, here's how to destroy talismans that aren't working out for you. Or, you know, it'll be just kind of little nuggets of information. Yeah. And I love the little nuggets of information um, because they, sometimes I like just little pieces because then it lets my mind like expand that little nugget of knowledge that comes in, um, which can be very beneficial for creative people like myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm feeling that a lot of people that do such things as we do, you know, that creative curious mind exists. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, all right. So thank you, Nina, for sharing all this fabulous information. Of course, we need to know where to find you and what you got going on so that uh, people can pick up you know, where we leave off here. Oh, of course. So um, you can find me on Facebook just under Nina Griffin. That's G-R-Y-P-H-O-N. You can also find me on Instagram. I, uh, that's just the same handle I have there. I have a website as well, ninagriffin.com. Uh, my older website that is extremely giant and got kind of unwieldy, so that's why I got a new one, is called <laughs> griffinastrology.com. 
either of those are fine. Um, and in terms of projects, I do have a kind of a fun thing that I've been working on for about the last year and, and a few months. It's, um, I'm illustrating the 146 considerations of Guido Bonatti, which is a, a 13th century astrological text. Um, I'm illustrating it in cartoon form to make it more interesting and palatable and understandable to people today. Um, and you can find that I post pages from that on Instagram and Patreon, but I also, um, I also post them on Facebook for free. If you're on Patreon, you just get them a little sooner, but um, you certainly don't need to be a patron to enjoy that. Yes. However, uh, as a patron myself, I recommend, <laughs> uh, they're always fun when they pop up and you know, when she says illustration, she means cute animal illustration. <laughs> yes. I should have mentioned that. <laughs> cute animals, people, you know, to like here and you know, <laughs> cause I have my weekly animal ambassador that I do. So anybody that helps, you know, in the, in the animal realm, I'm all for it. And yes. so I've been a patron of Nina's for, uh, I want to say maybe Quite some time, I'm good, a lot of decent amount of time now. And I, they just, warm me every time I see them come in. It's unexpected because it's not like every day that you do. No, no. It's usually a couple times a month. Yeah. Yes. And, and once again, those little pieces of, uh, you know, little nuggets of wisdom come in, um, because the considerations are, um, around horror, more horary astrology, right? And well, yeah, it's kind of a mix, you, but yeah, it's kind of a mix. Some of the, some of the, um, Items that I talk about, some are more on the horary side, some are electional, some are natal. It's a bit of a jumble. And so I think right now I'm going through a chunk that happened to be more on the horary side, but definitely not exclusively. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because just little things come in and then it's almost better that way because the, just that small piece of information you share is more likely to stick because yes. it comes in with increments where you don't have to exactly. like absorb it all. So I highly recommend uh, everyone checking that out um, to expand your awareness on these such things. <laughs> no, thank you. All right. All right. So where can people find me? Um, and then my blog that I talk about so that you can get these uh, links that Nina had mentioned. Well, you can find me at energeticprinciples.com and also on Instagram and Facebook at energetic principles. Um, and then uh, like Nina, I also have a Patreon page. Uh, if you would like to show appreciation for the podcast or sign up for my moon horoscopes or my tarot subscription, and you can do that at uh, patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Um, and if you like what we're talking about here today and think someone else should know, you know, spread the good word, you know, because sharing is caring. We want to get that out there. Um, and you know, cause there's so many facets to astrology and all this magical stuff. And so share, 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 share. Um, and if you, you know, you actually did like, and you want to help it be seen more in a different way, you can give me a nice review on iTunes because that helps spread the word as well. Um, all right, Nina. So thank you so much again for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Mel. This was really fun. Wonderful. All right. And thank you for, uh, taking the time to listen as well. And until next time, may the stars be with you. Mm -hmm.